from this uh, platform this, this year is just be blessed. I have a question for you. Have you ever had something that somebody did for you that was an act of kindness that changed your life? Can you think of it? I think if we all stop for a minute and just kind of process through that, each one of us would, could remember an act of kindness or maybe an act of unkindness that changed our life. Can I tell you about a couple acts of kindness that changed my life? All right. Uh, when I was, I think, four, 13 or 14 years old, um, we were hanging out with my aunt and uncle and our, my mom's side of the family at their cottage on Lake Erie. Now, like, don't get pictures in your head that we're this uppity family and we got, like, a, a house on the lake. Like, we used to have a house on the lake, and I, you tell me stories about that, and I wish I had seen the house on the lake. Like, that was a house on the lake. But the, my aunt and uncle have a cottage that's sort of off the lake. It's by a, a cliff and a, a beach, and they just invite the family out, usually around 4th of July, to hang out there. And it's like one of those, it's a, it's one of those cottages that is so old that it's cool again. You know what I'm saying? Like all the fixtures and the furniture, and, the, and it's just a great place to be, and great memories there. And I remember hanging out there with my cousins, and uh, this particular time that we were out there, there was a concert happening in, at the Chautauqua Institute. Anybody know what the Chautauqua Institute is? It's a, if you don't know, it's this place on Lake Chautauqua. Uh, it's kind of like a little village set amongst itself. And in the uh, late 1800s, I think it was, they started building this place. And it was, it was a place where you'd come for rest and retreat and intellectual pursuit and spiritual pursuit. And um, it's just a, it's a neat place. It's a really neat place. They have this giant open-air pavilion that they actually just redid recently that they do concerts at. And this year, they're ha- and my aunt and uncle's cottage is about 15, 20 minutes away from there. And this year, they happen to have a concert uh, with Ray Charles performing. And seeing Ray Charles live is something that every person should have the benefit of doing, right? If you haven't, I don't know what to tell you. But So here's the cool thing. Uh, my aunt and uncle had tickets for this, and Chautauqua Institute allowed everybody, like 13 and under, to go for free. And so I'm the oldest grandchild on my parents, on my mom's side, and um, they were going to take all the grandkids. The only problem was I was the one grandkid that didn't qualify for the free ticket. And now my, my, my family would have been perfectly in their rights to say, hey, listen, we're going to take all the kids for free. These tickets are expensive, you know, yada, 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 whatever. Just hang out here with the adults. And, you know, I, I would have been perfectly happy probably to hang out with the adults, you know, eat, eat a couple more hot dogs and just, you know, enjoy myself without my, all my uh, cousins running around and bothering me. But my aunt and uncle decided to take me with them and purchase me an expensive ticket to see Ray Charles play live out in the open air underneath the, the, the canopy there at the Chautauqua Institute. And it was a simple act of kindness, and it might be like, okay, at 13 or 14 years old, can you even understand what you are seeing? I don't think I really did understand what I was witnessing. But what it said to me was this, what it communicated to me was this, and it changed my perception of my family. It told me that I belonged. That act of kindness of buying me a ticket to the Ray Charles concert told me that I was part of this family. It communicated something deep into my heart. There's other things that happened. I remember, and I've told you this story before, but some of you haven't heard it. It's worth repeating. Uh, when I was in first grade, Mrs. Ranson told me that my blue Oxford shirt was the most handsome thing she'd ever seen on me. One, and it wasn't just a plain blue Oxford shirt. It was Remember those ones in the early 80s? They were blue Oxford shirts, but then they also had like a yellow stripe and a pink stripe and a green stripe. You know what I'm talking about? Do you remember those? You wear them with khakis. And I remember, I remember like, she told me that. And before, like, I'd get up and put, put my clothes on. I didn't care about clothes before that. 
Like, I just, you went to school. You put on whatever your mom told you to put on. But after that, I tried to put that shirt on every day of the week if I could. Because before you'd walk in, you're like, hi, Mrs. Ranson. Now you're like, hey, check me out. How you like me now? I got my shirt on. And she told, every time I wore it, she told me that shirt looks great. It was that simple. It was, it was like one word. She, and she could have just not said anything, right? But it was that one word of kindness that changed my life. It gave me a, uh, a, an appreciation that what I wear matters to people. And whether uh, what my wife says is true is that they just teach teachers to do that, or it really was the intent of her heart to tell me that, that I look good, I don't care because it changed my life. There's a story... Uh, we have those positive things where our lives are changed. There's a story about somebody's uh, life that was changed because they didn't operate in an act of kindness. William McKinley, everybody know who William McKinley was? He was a president that we shot in Buffalo, right? We should all know who he was. Anyways, William McKinley, uh, before he, or when he was president, had a choice of ambassadors. He had two, he had two qualified men for this ambassadorship. One, one position, two qualified men. And when he was going to choose who was going to be in this position, he had to make a choice between these two men, both eminently qualified, but men of different character. Because before he was president, while he was serving in Washington, D.C., he was on public transportation. And he was, he was sitting in the back of whatever this was, I don't know if it, it was a bus or a trolley or something, but he was watching this scene happen. And the, the transportation was full. And one of those men was on that bus or trolley or whatever it was with him. And there was a woman that got on and she was loaded down with bags. She was loaded down with goods and, and, and no one offered her a seat. No one help, offered to help her get in. Nothing. And, and he watched from the back as this man who he eventually had to choose between for this position, this ambassadorship, he watched as the man not only ignored her but did, did the thing that a lot of us do. He put the paper up and kind of pretended like he didn't see her. Now, don't judge him in your hearts, because y'all have been at Wegmans before and walked by somebody that you recognize, and you're like, they didn't recognize me, so I'm not going to say hi, because I don't really want to stop and talk to him. But McKinley remembered... And now, of course, because he was watching and he saw, he got up and he went and he, he offered to help the woman bring her bags on and offered his seat to her. But he remembered that there was a man there that refused to show kindness to somebody else. He said, if this person is going to represent me and represent our country and represent our government to another country, they've got to be a man that operates in kindness. And because he refused to operate in kindness, McKinley refused to put him in position. I want to talk about kindness today. I want to talk about the power of kindness. I want to talk about the necessity of kindness for you and me if we're going to represent the king in the earth. We are going through a series where we're talking about heart and how important the heart is. And we we recognize that God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we're talking about being men and women after God's own heart, meaning we're patterned after, we're chasing after. God's heart, what matters to him is, is, is growing in our lives. It's becoming more and more of who we are. And we're using David, King David, as an example of this. Because in the Old Testament, God rejected the king before David, Saul, because he was not a man after God's own heart. He said, I'm looking for one. And then in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it says that God says of David, I have found him to be a man after my own heart. 
And so we're going to look this morning at how David understood and responded and carried the kindness of God so that we can understand what kindness is and how important it is for the kingdom of God. David knew God's kindness. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6, we're going to skip around to a couple different uh, verses this morning, but uh, you, can, you can go there if you want. I can just explain it. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6, God comes to Solomon, King David's son. And Solomon is about to reign on the throne, and he's, a, he's just starting his, 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 reigning, his rulership over the kingdom that he inherited from his father David. And God comes to Solomon in, in a dream, and he says to Solomon, he says, listen, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And as an opening statement to, to his response to God, Solomon, David's son, said this. He says, as for you, show kindness to your servant." For he who have brought him into a covenant, oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. Please forgive me. First Kings 3, 6, Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. In other words, because he had your heart, you showed him kindness. And you have continued to, this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. What we understand from this verse is this. David knew the kindness of God. And he knew the kindness in God in such a way that he was willing to display it and, de- and declare it and live in such a way that other people saw it. David's son Solomon knew that David was on his throne because God was kind to him. He understood that David continued on his throne because God was kind to him. And he understood that God putting Solomon on David's throne was an act of kindness from God. Let's talk about David's kindness, because he knew the kindness of God, but he also demonstrated the kindness of God. This is one of the major places where we're going to land this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 20. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, we have this account. I'm all over the place. I apologize. 2 Samuel. I cannot read my notes this morning. Thank you for your kindness and understanding. Second Samuel, chapter 9. If I can figure this out, we will be in a good spot. In Second Samuel, chapter 9, we have this account of David demonstrating his, the kind, kindness that God had given to him. Let's read it and we'll talk about it for a minute. Here's what it says. One day David asks, is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? In other words, David is saying, listen, the king that was king before me was Saul. And I want to know, is there anyone left in his family? Anyone left from his son's line, Jonathan? We'll explain that in a minute. Because I want to show kindness to them. And so he summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. How many of you would like to be the servant to a previous king and be summoned in by the new king. How many of you would go willingly into that room? See, usually what happens in kingdoms is everybody who's associated with the past king dies when the king dies. Right? If you look at, at history, most rulers after the ruler previous to them, especially in kingdoms or in uh, dictatorships and things like that, when there's a change in government, there is a change in the people who are part of government's lives. So David calls Ziba in, and Ziba comes before him, and he says, are you, the, are you Ziba? <laughs> How many of you would be like, uh, my name ain't Ziba? <laughs> but he says, yes, sir, I am. 
And the king asked him, is there anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. The, the reason why this son is crippled in both feet is because of the tradition that we're talking about of killing all the family members of the previous king. If you read in Scripture, you'll find out that this young man, when his grandfather Saul was killed and his father Jonathan was killed in the same battle, the grandson of the king, the son of the, the, what, what logically would be the next king, was five years old or four years old. He was a very young man, and his nursemaid heard the news that the king had died and his son had died, and so she picked him up and she ran for her life. She ran for his life. But while she was running, she tripped and fell and broke both of his feet. And he, it was such a bad break that he remained crippled to this day. And so David said, where is he? In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Emil. And so David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. And his name was Mephibosheth. I got it right. Can you say Mephibosheth? Say it again. Say Mephibosheth. And he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greeting Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Verse 7, don't be afraid, David said. A very important statement, understanding the, the times that they were living in. He said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. And Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? He understood what it meant to be receiving this kindness. And then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Talk about growing a church. And Ziba replied, yes, the Lord my king, my lord and the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. I am so grateful that God inspired the writer of 2 Samuel to include the word Mephibosheth so many times in the account. See, David was operating out of kindness towards Mephibosheth. Didn't owe it to him, didn't need to, but David was operating out of kindness because he understood kindness and also because he had made, if you, you'll see this in the account, and he made reference to it, he had made a covenant of kindness with Jonathan. We're going to look at that covenant of kindness really quick. If you turn with me, I think this is the right place. 1 Samuel chapter 20. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, we have an account of David making a covenant of kindness with Jonathan. This is when David is not king yet. Saul is still king. Jonathan is the king's son, and Jonathan and David are best friends, but there's a problem. The problem is that David is hated by the king. In fact, the king is trying to kill him. The king is pursuing him. And Jonathan, jo David goes and meets with Jonathan the king's son, he's like, what have I done? Why is your dad trying to kill me? And Jonathan's like, my dad's not trying to kill you. What are you talking about? 
And he says, no, your dad's really ch- trying to do it. And Jonathan says, he, he tells me everything. He would have told me if he wanted to kill you. And he hasn't told me that. And, jo- and David says to Jonathan, the reason why he hasn't told you is because he knows that we're good friends. And he knows that if, 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 if you knew that I was trying to kill him, or if, he, yeah, if you knew that I was trying to kill him, that you would tell David, me, that you, you know what I'm saying, right? And so Jonathan and David have this conversation, and they make this covenant, a famous covenant. People preach through this, this friendship that Jonathan and David had, but we need to understand, it wasn't just a, a, a covenant of friendship, it was a covenant wrapped in kindness. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 8, David says to Jonathan, he says, as for you, Show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant before the Lord. And if I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? David said, listen, if we're going to do this and you're not going to kill me and you're going to see that I'm righteous and that I'm pursued by your dad for no good reason, I want you to understand, do this kindness for me. It's a covenant of kindness. And David and, and Jonathan affirm that covenant later on in verse 14 and verse 15. We'll start in verse 12, actually. It says this, Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send word to you and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. This is the covenant that they're talking about. This is the agreement that they're making, saying, listen, I'm going to find out if my dad's after you, and I'll let you know either way. But look at verse 14. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. David says, be kind to me in not turning me over to your dad. And Jonathan says, then be kind to me, because I know that at some point you will be king, and when I'm not in a place anymore where I have any authority or rulership, when I'm gone from this earth, I want you to show kindness to me, but I also want you to show kindness to my family. See, David, in calling for Mephibosheth, was not just operating out of a promise that he made to be loyal to, but he was operating out of a covenant of kindness. He was operating, he says, and it wasn't just that he wanted to be kind. He recognized that it was out of the kindness of God that he wanted to minister to Jonathan's family and to Saul's family. Here's what we're going to understand from this scripture. Just a few things this morning. First is this. God is kind. God himself is kind. And I'm so glad, and I hope that you're so glad too, that he is kind to us even when we don't deserve it especially when we don't deserve it. He is kind to us. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says this, But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. God's ultimate act of kindness... God's ultimate act of love towards us is a willingness to come and make himself known to us and to save us, not because we deserve it, but especially because we don't. Some of us get caught trying to make ourselves good with God. We're willing to be kind 
because we th- or we're willing to receive the kindness of God because we think we've done something to deserve it. It's time to stop that in Jesus' name. It's time to recognize that the kindness and love of God is especially true when we aren't following Him. Where we love God, not because we have to, but because He first loved us and we get to. God is kind. Second thing we have to understand is this about God's kindness, is that God's kindness should change us. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Many of us have a vision of God as this cosmic punisher who's just waiting for us to screw up so that he can throw some kind of punishment into our lives. Have you ever been around somebody that starts talking garbage or talking things against God and you just kind of take a step back and you laugh like, oh, God's going to strike you with lightning? That's a joke, but the truth is this. That's a deep-seated misunderstanding of who God is. Like we joke about that and we're not expecting lightning to come down, but many of us expect lightning to come in other forms into our lives or into other people's lives because of what we've done. The truth is this, God is kind and he shows his kindness towards us in calling us away from our sin. He's not waiting to punish us, he's waiting to show us his kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. His kindness should change and transform us. The kindness of David And the kindness of God demonstrated through David to Mephibosheth changed his life. Mephibosheth was in Lodabar. Does anybody know what Lodabar is or what Lodabar means? Lodabar is this borderland that, and Lodabar literally means no place or no pasture. It was literally called Nothingville. When they were looking for Mephibosheth, when they were trying to find Mephibosheth, he found, they found Mephibosheth on the backside of nowhere. When we minister in Cuba, some, uh, a couple times we've been to a city called Kibikon. And I, I hope I'm saying it right or wrong. I really don't care because I'll just explain to you what it means. It literally means dog S-word, Cuba. How would you like to live in a, in a city called dog poop and it's not dog poop it's the other thing like where are you from you're writing that on your address right (laughs) now listen here I want to say this for too many years that has been the declaration over this city for too many years it's been a declaration over this region and I'm saying in the name of Jesus no more I was with a group of pastors on Thursday and we were praying for Niagara Falls and for Buffalo and for the region. And if you look, when, about 12 years ago when we came back to Buffalo, it was nothing but negative, 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 negative spoken over our city. But in the last 12 years, God has shifted. Do you know that they, 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 they released a list of the 50 most miserable cities in the country? Do you know that Buffalo is not on that list? Glory to God. I, I, I was like... I was scrolling through because it started at 50 and I'm scrolling through and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I want to I see what people say about our city. And nobody said that Buffalo was a miserable place to live. 
I mean, not nobody. There are people still that haven't gotten it yet. Some of us haven't gotten it in our hearts. But the truth is this. God has a destiny over this city, and it's not for this city to be the least. It's for this city to lead. And it's time. God has a plan and a purpose, and he's spoken words over this region for years. And it's time for us to step back into the ancient words over this region. Just like Buffalo is a city on the rise, I believe that Niagara Falls right now is a city on the rise. For too many years, we put our hope in a, in a godless... For too many years, we have put our hope in a, in, in a godless casino that that would be the hope. And we've come to a place where the casino says, no more gravy train, and you can't put your hope in the casino anymore. But do you know something? We're not left in the lurch. Niagara Falls is on the rise. Niagara Falls is shifting and changing. They're entering into the old destiny and purpose that God spoke over that city. Right now, they're actually building, I, did, I heard this this week, they are building two new Made of the Mist boats. They're the first fully electric tourist boats in the world. They can charge their batteries fully in seven minutes. And they're still unpainted, but they said they're going to launch them by November 1st. Do you know that's unheard of in western New York? That's unheard of in Niagara Falls? But it's as we, the people of God, start to declare the things of God over a place that that place changes. This is not about Buffalo, but look, he was in Lodabar. And where did God call him from? He called him out of Lodabar. He changed him from the no-place person to the palace of the king. What did we read? He ended up sitting and eating regularly at the king's table like one of the king's sons. God changes us. His kindness brings us from a place of brokenness, from a place of defeat, from a place of, of broken promises, from a place of nothingness, and he brings us into his palace. It's his kindness that changes us. His kindness also changed Mephibosheth's Identity. Anybody know what Mephibosheth means? Mephibosheth means uh, shame scattered. How would you like to, to, to realize, like, when you first realize what your name was, that your name means shame is scattered everywhere? Mephibosheth carried the shame of his father's and grandfather's broken kingdom in obscurity in Lodabar. And yet God brought him into the palace. Another, another way to say Mephibosheth, another, you know, oftentimes in Scripture there's two names for the person. Another way to say that was Maribal. And Maribal means the Lord contends, or Baal is an agent of contention. How would you like to have a name saying, hey, like the enemy fights with us, or God is fighting with us, because Baal was the name of God at that point. It was a generic name for God. How many of you would like to realize that your parents named you, God, God, God is fighting me? Carrying shame and carrying contention. Living in Lodabar, Mephibosheth was not living in the destiny that God had called him to. And yet the kindness of God displayed through David changed Mephibosheth's life and brought him into the house of the king, brought him into the household of the king, and, and brought him into a place where he was like one of the king's sons actually promoted him from grandson to king's son. The kindness of God changes us. Third thing we need to understand about the kindness of God is kindness must be experienced. In order to be kind, we must first receive and experience kindness. Too many of us walk around thinking of God as unkind, 
We're living in Lodabar. We're living with a name that's, that's been misspoken. We, we're living with a name that's condemning. Maybe it's not our actual name, but other people are throwing those things at us. A, a parent or a teacher or somebody. And because of these things in our lives, we walk around with a brokenness that doesn't allow us to see the kindness of God all around us. Sometimes the overwhelming weight of what we've experienced, the unkindness we've experienced, doesn't allow us to tap into the kindness of God. But the truth is this, if you're sitting here in this place this morning, you are sitting here because of the kindness of God. God has brought you into this place so you can stop and you can count the blessings of God. You can experience, in order to experience the kindness of God, we first have to recognize that we've received kindness. And even for us who have had our feet broken and have been exiled into the desert and have had our names shamed, the truth is this, we have still received the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. And later when we close the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you haven't yet done this, to receive the kindness of Christ in Jesus Christ by surrendering your life to Him and receiving the free gift of salvation. God has been so kind to us, and it's important that we don't skip that over. Some of us are trying so hard to share the kindness of God out of our own strength, and we don't stop and recognize the kindness of God experienced in our own lives first. Parents, how many of you have ever um, had children that were really, really nasty to each other? How many of you are with me when you're like looking at them like, where in the world... Did you get this nastiness? Why are you holding your brother or your sister to such you know, a, a rough or, or high standard and then you realize maybe you've done that with your kid that's being nasty? Have you ever done that? I can, I can literally tell you, when I come in the house and my spirit is not settled and I'm like, all right, here we go. Dad's walking in. We're gonna clean this joint, right? Nothing's right. We're going to make it right. When I walk into that place, it literally becomes a spirit that invades my house, and all of a sudden, my, my kids are yelling at their brothers and sisters. Because I haven't displayed kindness to them, they can't display kindness to others. And so in order for us to display the kindness of God, we have to receive and experience the kindness of God for ourselves. And then we have to understand this. Fourth, kindness is an action. Kindness is an action. Kindness is not what we feel in our hearts. Kindness is an action. David acted in kindness towards Mephibosheth. He didn't just say one day, oh, I wonder if there's any of Saul's uh, family that's still alive. Man, it'd be nice to do something for him, and he just left it at that. But no, he put into action his servants. He put into action. He put out a decree. He brought people in and he made arrangements for. He did something about the kindness that he wanted to display. Understand this. Our, the possessions and positions that God has given us are his kindness towards us. But also the possessions and positions that God has given us are to be used to show kindness to others. Now some of you are saying, hey, I'm, I'm light on possessions and I'm light on position. And I just don't, I simply don't think that's true. If we were to stop and to say, what do I have to give? All of us have something to give. God doesn't count uh, the amount that we give in terms of, of what it looks like to everybody else. He counts it in terms of what we're willing to give of what he's given to us. He doesn't hold us responsible for what other people give. He holds us responsible for what he's put into our lives and what we do with that. 
And every single one of us have a position. If you're in a family, you have a position. If you're in a neighborhood, you have a position. If you're in a job, no matter how low that job is, you, are, you have been put in a position. If you go to school, you've been put in a position. If you have a dog, you've been put into a position. Right? Every one of us have a position. God's placed us there to show and to demonstrate his kindness. If you have clothes on your back, guess what? You have possessions. I don't see any naked people in here today. Thank you, Jesus. But every one of us have position. Every one of us have possessions. Every one of us have been given something that God wants us to use to demonstrate his kindness to other people. Fifth, understand this. Kindness takes intention. It's not always right in front of us. Some of us are, are looking for random act of kindness to do when it's convenient for us. Right? Some of us are, are you know, when someone else does a random act of kindness to us, then we're like, oh, well now I can be kind, Right? We're waiting for that to happen. But the truth is this. The, the kindness of God has already been demonstrated to us. But it's not just going to fall in our laps. It requires us to be intentional about that act of kindness. We need to be looking for opportunities to share what God has given to us. We need to be able to and willing to work towards those things like David was with Mephibosheth. David said, find me a relative of Jonathan and of Saul. Six is this. Kindness is an ongoing investment. Sometimes we like to get the, the least amount of kindness out of us so that we just don't feel guilty anymore and just leave it at that, right? David could have brought Mephibosheth in and said, hey, Mephibosheth, I should kill you, but I'm not going to kill you. Thanks for coming to Lodabar. Have a nice trip back to Lodabar. just want to let you know I'm not going to kill you. That would have been an act of kindness, right? That would have been an act of kindness. Too many times we do the same thing. We do an act of kindness and we leave it there. David invested in Mephibosheth's life for the rest of his life. David was committed to Mephibosheth for, for, for everything that this man needed. David made sure that he had all the things that were his to have. David had inherited everything that Saul had, either because he became king or because he married one of Saul's daughters. And when Saul died, there wasn't anybody else to give it to, so David inherited it. He had it to hold on to, but he made sure that Jonathan had it and that he was set up for life. He made an ongoing commitment to demonstrate the kindness of God towards Mephibosheth. Kindness is an ongoing investment. Seven, kindness will not always be rewarded. Kindness will not always be rewarded. Sometimes it's misunderstood. You, we, we can, don't turn there because I don't think we have time this morning. But in 2 Samuel chapter 16, David is living under some unkindness. His son is trying to take over. His son is trying to rip the kingdom from his hands. In fact, his son has started this whole process. And David flees for his life. And as David is leaving the land, he's running away. He's crossing the Jordan River. Some people come and meet him and bless him as he goes. Do you know who meets him at the river as he's leaving? Ziba. This servant, this same servant, meets him at the, at the river and says, hey, listen, I just want to give you some supplies. David, you're king. I'm loyal to you. As you go, I just want to bless you. And David says to, to Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? He says, oh, he's still in Jerusalem, meaning he's with, he's with the enemy. He's with your son. So David leaves and uh, the whole thing kind of shakes out and D David's son Absalom is killed and David is coming back into the kingdom. He's coming back in. He's, he's crossing the river. Oh, by the way, when, when he was leaving and Ziba met him and Ziba blessed him, he said, he said Ziba, everything that was Mephibosheth is yours now. He was kind towards Ziba. 
But when he comes back into the kingdom, Mephibosheth meets him at the river. And he bows low. And, and, and David says, where were you when I left? And Mephibosheth said, Ziba lied to you. I actually asked him to get my donkey ready. I wanted to come with you. And I wasn't able to. And so David, in his wisdom, even though he didn't understand truly how to be kind, in, you know, he gave everything of Mephibosheth to, to Ziba. He said, listen, now you're going to split it. Half of it's Ziba's, half of it's yours. And you know what Mephibosheth said? Mephibosheth said, because you've been so kind, David, I don't even want it. I just want you. Do you see how much he had been changed? He said, uh, he, the Bible says he didn't, he didn't care for his hair or cut his nails or anything like that. When David was gone, he was so connected by that act of kindness, not just to the, 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 the nice things that David was willing to give him. He was connected to David himself. And so sometimes kindness is misunderstood. Sometimes it's not. Here's the truth. Your act of kindness, you don't know what it's going to do. Sometimes you don't understand what, how it has changed somebody already. And you're, you're still seeing them react or you're misunderstanding what they're looking at. What we need to do is being willing to sow the kindness of God into other people regardless of what we see in terms of their reaction because it will change their lives. Because it will change their lives. Two more things. Understand this. Kindness in the kingdom is generational. The kindness of God on your life to bring you into relationship with God has changed the future generations of the people that will come after you. Your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives and your great-grandchildren's lives have been changed by the act of kindness that God has showed towards you. Or if you are a second or third or fourth generation believer, the act of kindness in, in your life is just that much more accelerated. You're living in the legacy of the kindness of God towards your great-grandparents. And you know what? They may, they may not, your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, have, may have not made the best decisions. But if they chose to follow the Lord, they made an incredible decision in responding to the kindness of God. And so understand this. In the kingdom, it's multi-generational. When David made a promise to Jonathan, he wasn't just talking to Jonathan about kindness. He was talking about Saul. He wasn't just talking about Jonathan and Saul. He was talking about Mephibosheth and all of the people that would come from them, that they, he would be faithful to them always. It's multi-generational. The last thing we under, need to understand is this. A kindness is a kingdom builder. Kindness is a kingdom builder. If you and I want to build the kingdom of God, we're going to build the kingdom of God by receiving and displaying the kindness of God to those around us. If you want a verse to memorize this week, I'm going to give you a verse that will change your life if you really make it part of your life. It comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. And here's what it says. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Wear them around your neck. Make it something you see every day. Write them deep within your heart. So don't just make it a symbol, but make it something that's deep inside you. Loyalty and kindness. And what will happen? You will never, or sorry, then you will find favor with God and people. And you'll earn a good reputation. Kindness builds the kingdom. In fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence of the kingdom being built in our lives. 
If you and I want to see an entire region transformed, pulled out of its negative destiny, pulled out of the word that other people have spoken over it, and we want to see a multitude of people step into the calling of God, step into the purpose of God, step into what God has said about them, step into salvation and relationship and intimacy with God, then we've got to make kindness an important part. Receiving and sharing. In fact, kindness can break down hard hearts. Now, I know it's not true of anybody in this room, but believers have a bad reputation with the world. Most people who don't know believers and don't, haven't seen a genuine believer think that we are the most miserable people on the earth. They think that we're stingy. We think, they think that we hold everybody to a standard we don't even keep for ourselves because nobody's ever shared or displayed the kindness of God to them. If we want to see revival, how many of you are with me, you want to see revival in your family, in this church, in your neighborhoods, in this region, in your homes? If, you want, if we want to see revival, that the revival has got to be marked by a people who are after God's own heart who receive and demonstrate the kindness of God. Close your eyes with me as the worship team comes, if you would. The first question that we have to ask this morning to every person in this place every person, is have you received and experienced the kindness of God for yourself? Have you first received and understood the kindness of God and His sacrifice on your behalf that He sent His only Son, His only begotten Son, to live a sinless life, not just to share good teachings, but to live a sinless life and die a criminal's death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And that it wasn't just because he had to, but it was his kindness that led him there. It was his kindness on display for the world to see that he was willing to make that sacrifice for you and for me. But also this, It was the kindness of God that didn't leave him in the grave. A great teacher who made a great sacrifice. But his kindness and his love and the power of God raised him from the dead so that he could ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede in kindness and love on our behalf. so he could fill us with his spirit, so he could walk with us, so we could walk with him and be with him. And so if you're here this morning and maybe you've never responded to to the message of the gospel. You know, when I first got saved, I got saved because I did not want to go to hell. I was afraid of hell. But a couple years later, the kindness of God just washed over me 
And I responded again to that gospel message, receiving God's kindness towards me. And at that point, I wasn't responding because I was afraid of God. I was responding because I knew he was good. This morning, you have an opportunity to respond to him because you know that he's good. Because he's being kind towards you and calling you into freedom from your sin. Freedom from your own way. Freedom in walking with him. So when we, when we end this service, actually, let's just do this right now. If you keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. If you're here this morning and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to start that process, you want to respond to his kindness by saying, I'm going to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. Maybe you're doing this for the first time or maybe you've been running from Jesus or you've never known his kindness before. You've made the commitment, but you haven't known his kindness. If you're here this morning and you want to respond to the kindness of God, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? I want to know that you're here. I want to pray for you and with you. I see those hands. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. I'm so excited. The kindness of God. You can go ahead and put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you right now, those people that raise your hands, but look at me. I want you, when you're done, to go over to these guys right over here and tell them what you did. And let them lead you in a prayer of surrender to the kindness of God. Father, I'm so grateful for those who responded this morning to your ultimate act of kindness. Lord, would you release in them the joy of your salvation? I pray that they would not just enter into your kindness today, but they would be known as people who walk in your kindness for the rest of their days. Lord, let there be an explosion of that in their lives. In Jesus' name. Now again, with every head bowed, all the eyes closed. I just, I feel an intense need to ask about those who, who have responded already, but maybe you, today you, you can say with transparency and honesty that you don't feel like you're living in the kindness of God. The kindness of God is not oozing out of you. And it could be for a bunch of reasons. Maybe you, you haven't realized the kindness of God towards you. Maybe you're holding yourself to a higher standard than God holds you to. Maybe you're, you're trying to get it done on your own and you just feel like you don't have this kindness pouring out of you. You're not focused on how to share the, the love and the kindness of God with others because you just don't even know that you feel it yourself. Today, the Lord wants to fill you with his kindness. He wants to demonstrate his kindness to you. He wants to remind you of his kindness. He's brought you to this place to fill you with his kindness. He's brought you to this place because he's pulled you out of Lodabar. He's brought you to this place because he's changing your name from Mephibosheth, shame scattered, to, 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 and he's making a, giving a new meaning to that name. He's saying your shame is scattered. It's far from you. You don't carry it anymore. It's his kindness. His kindness is leading you to turn to him. If you're here this morning and you just want to experience the kindness of God fresh, I'm not even talking about being willing to share the kindness of God. That, co that comes later. You just want to experience a fresh wave of the kindness of God in your own life, in your own home. I just want you to, to boldly stand right now where you are. God is going to pour out kindness on us.
Jesus, we repent this morning for trying to earn your goodness and kindness towards us. And we just stand before you recognizing we need, we need to experience your kindness. Lord, we recognize that you've been kind to us in the past. That you, and we, we believe that you will be kind to us in the future. But right now, we pray that we would experience an overwhelming sense of your goodness and kindness like we've never known before. Lord, we believe that by your Spirit, you're able to lead us into this truth. That even now, you're flooding our understanding, you're flooding our, 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 our soul, you're flooding our, our spirit, and even our bodies with an understanding of your kindness. We receive it as we recognize it this morning. In the name of Jesus. Would you stand, everybody, now? We're going to sing and worship the Lord for just a few minutes before we close. That you experienced the presence of God this morning. Over the summer, there was, uh, God did some work in my life and set me free because of his kindness. And I know that those stories will be repeating themselves over and over. And that kindness of God is found here and in the small groups during the week. So if you haven't done that already, check them out, whether it's a men's group or with the couples or individuals. Find a place where you can know and experience God's presence, his kindness, and that story that's being written on your heart that you could share that because he is relentless towards you. He was relentless towards me, and he set me free, and he'll do that for you as well. There are the ushers are in the back, and to receive your tithes and offerings, if you are a guest with us, you're no obligation to give. But if God has done something in your heart, feel free to pour it in there and in recognition of God's kindness as you share that is a, is a wonderful blessing to us all. Uh, and if you're a guest with us today, uh, please join us at Guest Central. We have a, a gift for you, for you, and we'd love to meet you there. If the, the men of the house can kind of look this way, or your wives, or, or uh, significant others. We're going to be uh, signing you up for uh, the uh, men's conference coming up in November. Um, I will be down at Corner Cafe. Look for Paul. Paul, wave your hand. He's going to kind of point you down that way too. So come on down, sign up, sponsor somebody, because we're going to fill up this place with men and, ch- and to transform the hearts of men, this church, this community, the neighborhood, and western New York. Amen? And so the prayer team is available up here. And so if God spoke to you and you want to share what he's done, uh, please uh, meet someone up here and they'd love to pray with you. Lord, just thank you, God, that you are relentless in pursuing us. Lord, thank you for your kindness. God, that you are so, so good. I ask, God, that as you demonstrate that over and over, whether we're aware or not, God, as we follow you, our hearts are changed forever. Lord, that we would share that with those around us. So bless your people, your sons, your daughters as they go today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Sing your love is relentless. Your love